0: Good morning, animal people, and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewitt, and this morning we'll be chatting with our good friend from Lab Rescue, Julie Jones, who has some really great information about adopting homeless Labrador retrievers who are, in my opinion, absolutely great dogs. Then a little later, filmmaker Howard Hall will be checking in and recounting some great stories about the marine life he encountered while making his latest 3D IMAX documentary, Under the Sea. This is a movie that's premiering in theaters this week. I had a chance to see it with my family not too long ago, and I can tell you it is a lot of fun. So you don't want to miss hearing about any of this we'll get started right after a very quick break so don't go away great stuff just ahead here on the pet place radio show on kgil am 1260 and 540 Listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on AM 1260 and 540. I'm Marie Hewlett, and Julie Jones from Southern California Labrador Retriever Rescue is joining us now. Welcome to the Pet Place, Julie. Thank
1: you so much for having us.
0: This is so exciting! I'm so happy to talk with you guys because I love Labrador Retrievers.
1: I know they're such a wonderful breed. They're just so full of energy and happiness, and they're just—they're so great. They I love them too. They have big old
0: dog smiles. They do. They're goofy and <laughs> yeah, they are just the fun dogs of the dog world. They really are. <laughs> now, how did you get involved with lab rescue?
1: Well, it's kind of funny. I um I joined about a year ago and okay. um. A friend of mine and I always do a party every year uh, for her birthday, and she actually, it's mostly her party,
2: uh-huh. and she does
1: cat rescue. And, oh. you know, at this stage in our lives, we really don't need another knick-knack, another, you know, something or other. Mm-hmm. So we decided this year, uh, or last year, that we would have our friends, if they wanted to bring a gift or whatever, it's not necessary, but if they wanted to, that we asked them to donate to um, a, a, a rescue. And at that point, oh, I wasn't really involved with uh yeah. It wasn't, I wasn't really involved yet, but um, what I did was I looked up stuff on the Internet, you know, and I knew I wanted to do labs because I have two labs of my own.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I found this group, and I did some research on them, and they seemed really together and, you know, very organized, and so I picked them, and... I got. I think I raised a little over three hundred dollars, um, and I sent it to them, and they sent me this really nice thank you note, and and then I just started volunteering, and now I'm hooked. I'm absolutely hooked on you know, saving the labs. Everybody
0: and finding I know who's gotten involved in rescue, it's the same thing. They always, it's it's addictive.
1: It's so you rewarding. It is, and it's a good addiction because yeah. it just makes it. I mean, you it makes yourself feel good. The lab finds a home. The mm-hmm. families who adopt these labs are just the Hide themselves to get such a great dog. And I mean, there's just, it's a win win so many ways. There's just, there's nothing bad about it, you know? Wow. Other than you can't save them all. That's the yeah, only bad that, thing. That but that but we ha- uh-huh. we're we saving a lot. You've so. done as many as you That's possibly right.
0: can. And, and that job is getting pretty tough these days for all the shelters it, and rescues. It
1: really is, yeah. Wow,
0: because there with so many people facing difficult economic times, um, they can't afford to keep their pets. And so they're relinquishing them and just, Amazing numbers to say the least. It is,
1: and, and, and they're and they're sad about it too. Yeah, so yeah. This
0: isn't the same old thing that we've seen in the past, where people are just being irresponsible and they don't want their pet anymore. Right. People are parting with their pets under the worst conditions. They don't want to, and the rescues are what is helping them get yes. through this. Yeah,
1: and we're getting inundated, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, with the whole which we talked about earlier, is we wanted to talk about Marley and Me, and of course, with the whole movie coming out the spotlight has kind of been on Labradors, and so um, it's been a good and a bad thing. I mean, we've been inundated with adopting applications, and at any given time, we have probably 100 um, families that have been approved, which Mm -hmm. means that we've gone to their home and checked out their fencing and made sure that it would be just a good good home for the lab. I mean, you know, for the most part, we don't really ever... um, reject anybody. It would have to be a really extenuating circumstance. It would have to be a situation where you really wouldn't want a dog to go to that area anyway. Right, uh-huh. And so that doesn't happen very often. But I have to tell you, we've it's been a good thing and a bad thing because it's great because there, a lot of people are looking for labs now because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, well, look at how great that dog is, even sure. though Marley was naughty and, <laughs> and out of control a lot of times. he was also brought a lot of joy and happiness to that family, mm-hmm. you know, so... Um, it's been a double-edged sword, but it's been a great thing. We're, you know, we're very thankful. So, now
0: when people come in and they want to adopt, are they counseled that uh, when you adopt a pet, it's for the life of that pet, and not
1: until you get tired of it, or it's more of a hassle than anything else? Y- yes, exactly. And that's one of the other reasons we do a home check is. Our whole thing is we try to match the Labrador with the family because mm-hmm. just with any other breed, just like with any other breed, Labradors have low energy Labs. Some they'll just lay by your feet; they're like a little rug at your at your feet. Mm-hmm. There's some that will take off all day long that are just nonstop, and then there's some that have medium energy. So what we try to do when we go over and look at their house and make sure they're ready for a dog um, is we also interview them and see what they're looking for in a dog. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, some people are are specific about color or sex or or age. But mostly people are just looking for a good fit for their mm-hmm. family. So we talk. We we like to make sure everyone in the family is there, so we know that everyone is on board with the dog. Sure. So you know, it's not we don't find out later. Oh well, Johnny's allergic to the dog, or Johnny is afraid of dogs. You mm-hmm. know. So we try to take all of that into consideration, and it and that's all done in about fifteen minutes conversation with the family when we go to their home. And if that way, if they have questions for us, because our other thing too is we like to educate about Labradors as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so people have. Problems down the road for whatever issue, chewing or digging or whatever, they can come back to us. And we always, you know, um, encourage them to stay in touch with us. We also check back in on them. We have what we call family reps, and they check back in with the families who have adopted, see how things are going, if there's any questions we can answer. So if
0: somebody is having a behavioral problem, do you help them get yes, training and help them solve that problem? Yes,
1: we do. We, I mean, we we can actually go back into the home and help them. We have lists of people that we work with that um, come and help us with our foster dogs that may have some issues before okay. we adopt them out. Um, and so there are, there's a whole list of resources that we have to us. And mostly just because all of us have loved labs and been around labs most of our lives anyway, a lot of times we can just help on our own because we've experienced that at one time or another mm-hmm. with one of our labs, sure. if, you know. Sure,
0: yeah. So... Now, if if we start to see an increase in the adoptions as a result of uh, Marley and Me, the movie, um, people buying labs from pet stores, you know, rather than adopting uh, from a rescue or a shelter, um, and then, you know, not really taking the commitment seriously because it was an impulse sort of thing, uh, do you expect to see a lot of... Um, owner of relinquished labs at lab rescue?
1: Yes, that's what we're actually kind of a little bit worried about, more so than just right now what the impact is. Um, you know, with Marley and me coming out on Christmas Day, that was, you know it was probably one of those same thing, a blessing and, and, and the other is um a lot of people may have gotten puppies for as a present, which may not have been well thought out possibly and um and then of course you don't really You know, most puppies, when they're really young, if you buy them at six or eight weeks after they've been weaned and you get them from a breeder or a pet store or whatever, you know, they lay around. They do, you know, they're not really that active. It's when they've become a few months old. Mm -hmm. And I would have to say probably from about that four to six months old to the ten-month-old. At ten months is when we start seeing people feeling like they can't handle it anymore. And then that's when we start to see... We rarely get puppies in our um, rescue because puppies are pretty easy to place. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, someone can find a you know, and also at that time, usually people are are still you know loving and their puppy. And you they're know. a lot
0: smaller. That's
1: right. They that's don't realize
0: right. how big Labradors yes. get. They and can some get some of huge, them get very big. Yeah,
1: my my one last one was 110 pounds. You no know? way. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, and that he wasn't fat. He wasn't overweight. He was just a big boy.
2: Just a big boy. dog. Wow. So
1: it's and then I have one now who's nine years old and she's just a tiny little thing, you know. Uh-huh. So it just really it's it's what you get, you know, you never know. Sure. <laughs> Especially when you get this puppy, you never know what they're gonna grow into later, you know. Everybody says, Oh, look at how big their paws are you know? Well, we'll uh-huh. see. that doesn't really always measure how big they're going to get. That's
0: true. That's true. Now, you guys don't actually have a facility. They're all in foster care. Is that's that true? That's correct.
1: We do not have any facility, and we actually, we just talked about that at our last board meeting. We don't ever plan. That's not really in our plans. Um okay. We feel like they are in foster homes right now, and that's where they get evaluated, and they where find they out. Where they learn
0: how to be housed. That's
1: right. Exactly. Or we find out if they're good with cats or good with kids mm-hmm. or, you know. Um, that's where we evaluate them and that's the best way to do it you know if you if you have a facility and someone's not living there constantly I mean because when a family adopts a dog it's a part of their family Uh they're there 24 7 and you know they're a family member and having a facility we, we feel like it wouldn't really facilitate us doing uh, or emulating living within a home, right? And you know, so that's when you're going to really find out what a dog has or what what it's capable of.
0: Well, that being the case, how does somebody who's interested in adopting a lab check out and see what you guys have available?
1: Okay, well, what we do is we um, we make them available on our website, which okay. is uh, www.sclrr.org, and um And you can go and read the bios on on the available dogs. A lot of times, sometimes we have as few as seven or eight dogs available on our website for Mm -hmm. the the general public to see, but at any given time, we almost always have at least 20 to 25 dogs, and some of them are behind the scenes. They're in the system that the general public can't see because, Maybe they haven't been neutered yet, maybe they haven't been fully evaluated.
3: Okay. All of our dogs
1: stay in a foster home for a minimum of a week so that we find out how they what you know what they're like. Mm-hmm. um That's the minimum um and then so or some of them may be sick or may have kennel cough, which is like a doggy cold, which they a lot of times when they get pulled from a shelter they right. have been exposed to other mm-hmm. other things, and they may or may not have been updated on their shots.
0: So you get so them
1: all in perfect we do. order before they're off to their exactly. new home. Exactly. They'll okay. be neutered or spayed, mm-hmm. they'll have all their shots up to date, their rabies, and they'll be microchipped also. Wonderful.
0: So, well, yeah. Okay. Now, um, if somebody wanted to just volunteer perhaps be a foster mm-hmm. uh parent yes, exactly. if you will um, how would they go about doing that same thing they can go
1: to our website and uh, we and have that was a lot of s c l r r org okay uh-huh. And um, they could just fill out a volunteer form, and then someone will contact them right away. Our volunteer manager will will contact everybody's a volunteer, by the way. We are 100% volunteer run, not Yay. one paid person. <laughs>
2: so Every
1: single dollar goes to helping the lab. Mm-hmm. Um, so our volunteer manager would be the first one to uh, contact them via email, um, saying we received your application, and then and she would send some information and then that would go then and she would send the information out to the coordinators of those areas we have coordinator volunteer coordinators in each area who would then contact them and depending on what what you can fill out cuz some people just want to transport dogs some people just want to walk dogs some mm-hmm. people want to foster some people can't foster but they can maybe do administrative work like catch phone calls that come to our main line or maybe answer emails that come to our main uh, email address, okay. you know, all those types of things. Every little bit helps, and yeah. we find that it you don't have to have a lot of time to necessarily volunteer. It could, it's as much time as you have or as much time as you don't have. I mean, okay. every little bit helps, and it's it's funny, you know, we don't really, it's everybody, it, it's just the conglomeration and everybody's help that makes it so that we can be a total group. What so a
0: worthwhile
1: Every piece endeavor. fits the puzzle. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I have to warn you, it's addictive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing.
1: <laughs> you suddenly find yourself finding time to, oh. to help because it just feels so good inside. Now, you know? how
0: many dogs have you personally uh, helped get homes for, would you estimate? Uh,
1: I've probably helped at least... Um, in just in my year, and you have to remember, I couldn't foster in the beginning. I actually have a foster dog right now, and he's fantastic. Uh-huh. Um, and I haven't made him available on the site. So he's one of the ones that's also like behind the scenes, like we okay. were talking about. he's getting um, ready. But me personally, I've probably helped at least a dozen dogs um, wow, in the year, in which feels year. good. Yeah, because we probably have, um, we rescued over 250 last year, which Doesn't seem like a lot, but it really is because it's not just a matter of oh, pulling this dog and sending him somewhere. Mm -hmm. They stay within the system. They're evaluated. They're some of them may be sick or whatever. It it is a
0: lot of dogs. You should be very proud. We are. (laughs) (laughs) Julie, you do such great work, and all of us at the Pet Place are just so happy to to promote rescues like yours. Thank you so much. We hope we can find all these guys great permanent loving homes. And they deserve uh, it. Yeah, they sure do. So, uh, special thanks for being
1: with us today. Thank you.
0: We need to take a very quick break, but we'll be back with filmmaker Howard Hall, whose new movie, Under the Sea, opens this week. So, don't go away. The Pet Place Radio Show will be back in a flash here on KGIL AM 1260
2: and 540.
0: Welcome back to the Pet Place Radio Show on KGIL, AM 1260 and 540. I'm Marie Hewlett, and I'd like to introduce and welcome filmmaker Howard Hall, and you have a special guest with you also. And
4: Mich- Michelle Hall, yes, my, my producer Hall. and my boss. Okay,
0: your producer and boss,
3: okay. And wife.
0: <laughs> That's synonymous with boss, I think. <laughs> I really thank you guys for taking time out of your very busy schedule. I know you're doing a lot of show openings all over right now. Well, ha- so thank, thank, you thank you for you. having us on. Now, Howard, Howard and Michelle, how did you guys get the idea for creating uh, Under the Sea?
4: Well, we've made a number of IMAX 3D films over the over the years, and they've been quite successful. The, the last two of them we made were made in waters off North America.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And so in order to raise the bar and do something uh, better, we realized we were going to have to go to to further, more isolated places. And so our our intention with Under the Sea 3D was to go to the most isolated, most unique, most unusual places on the planet to capture the most bizarre marine wildlife uh, that
2: there is.
0: Wow, you certainly did that. I I went with my husband and my daughter, and and it was so much fun. And uh, my, my little girl was constantly reaching out our hand to try and touch the, uh, the 3D marine life that we're swimming by.
2: Well,
4: kids, kids love the 3D effect especially. And the wonderful thing about IMAX 3D is when you're wearing the glasses and you're looking at these underwater images, what you're seeing is virtually identical to what I saw through my diving mask when I was there. Uh, the same uh, resolution, the same colors, and the same proximity, the same sense of how close these animals are.
0: I really did feel like I was under the water when I was watching the movie. I didn't feel like I was watching a movie. I felt well, like I was right there.
4: That's just about the way it feels, except you weren't wet. <laughs> or cold.
0: Or cold, yeah. <laughs> now, you had some really unusual creatures, um, and it seemed like you were getting really close to them. You must have some uh, pretty amazing stories to tell about that.
4: Well, there's, there's two kinds of animals that we filmed. There, there's the animals that uh, run from the camera, with uh, the bright lights and the, the big bulky camera and the, the noisy divers. And when you turn the camera on, it sounds like a lawnmower. So those animals that run away from it aren't in the film. Okay. So the other kind of animals that are in the films are the animals that don't care.
2: <laughs>
4: and uh, they're, the, they're what we concentrated on. So it, it, it's a very intrusive uh, piece of gear. The underwater camera weighs 1,300 pounds.
0: Oh, wow. And
4: only runs for three minutes. So it's, it's a very difficult system for capturing wildlife behavior but some animals don't seem to be bothered by it at all and in fact you'll remember a sequence of sea snakes that are approaching the camera
0: That is my favorite part of the movie. I'm glad you're going to talk
4: about that. Well, For, for some reason the sea snakes were attracted to the noise wow. so they, the, the vibration that the camera put off was something that attracted them. They, they don't see very well mm-hmm. so they weren't bothered by the sight of this monstrous thing down there and when you turned on the vibration just got them all excited and we had a hard time actually getting far enough away from snakes to, to film them because they'd end up right underneath the camera every, yeah. <laughs> every time we tried.
3: And, in fact, there was also uh, the Australian sea lions that uh, they, they could see themselves in the port, and one of the difficulties that the divers and uh, cameramen had were uh, getting the sea lions to stay f- just far enough away so that they'd be in focus. And, and you may remember in the credits at the very end, one of them comes in and, and sort of kisses the of the Mm -hmm. camera housing, uh, they could see their reflection and they kept coming to have a look.
0: They all seemed really, really curious, but they were so doggone cute, I tell you.
3: Very cute.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what inspired you to do the underwater movies? Have you always been avid divers?
4: Well, we're really... I consider myself a professional diver that has been moonlighting for the last 30 years making wildlife films, but uh, we specialize in marine wildlife, uh, mostly underwater. Uh, That's what we do best, and uh, so we sort of stick with with that.
0: Now, you mentioned you could only film for three minutes at a time. I mean, that is just a huge handicap. How were you able to get really good scenes that you could use with only being able to, to shoot three minutes at a time.
4: Well, that's, that's one of the, life t- the advantages to spending a lifetime underwater studying these animals is I, I've learned to, to, to get a feel for what they're going to do and when they're going to do it. And that's mm-hmm. a huge advantage when you're trying to anticipate animal behavior. And, in fact, the camera takes about five seconds to ramp up to speed. So anytime you saw animals doing things that were interesting, uh, the camera had to be running five seconds before they actually do it, before we can actually get an image. So it, it's very difficult. And, of course, there's miles and miles, literally, of 70-millimeter of footage that wasn't used when the animals didn't do anything.
0: <laughs> sure. Uh-huh. I could just imagine, you know, I, I shoot a TV show that features dogs and cats, and I always thought that was hard to get them to uh, behave on camera. So I just can't even imagine trying to shoot three minutes at a time and, and hope you're getting a good shot.
2: Well,
4: it, it's it's uh it's hardly a sacrifice. I mean, we really enjoy doing that kind of work, and we love spending the time down there with the animals and waiting for them to do something unusual.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, it it is extraordinarily time consuming. Uh, you'll remember a scene in the film where a stonefish tries to capture a little yellow damselfish.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, we were underwater for six hours waiting for that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> And
0: that was probably a good amount of time. I mean, it could have taken much longer than that.
4: Well, it, it, there's lots of sequences in the film where we that aren't in the film, that where the animals simply didn't perform at all.
2: Mm-hmm. And
4: uh, again, with the, the stonefish, we wanted to get a shot of the stonefish burying himself,
2: mm-hmm. and
4: we worked on it for hours and hours and finally just had to give up. We just couldn't figure out how to predict him actually doing it.
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, you must have uh, also been encountering some uh, dangerous animals, too, while you were down there. Some of the jellyfish, um, some of the sharks. Uh, did you have any harrowing moments? Uh,
4: I, no, we, we didn't. We really didn't have any cases of injuries, no lost appendages or anything like that. Uh, <laughs>
2: That's always uh, a good thing.
4: We did film great white sharks, and we did that outside the cage. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, because the camera is simply too big to put in a cage, and that yeah. was probably the most exciting thing we did, and it was not done without risk.
0: Exciting, to say the least. It was
4: it was, <laughs> it was, was something I'd been looking forward to doing for uh-huh. a long time. So uh, it was really a lot of fun, and, of course, it was a kind of a, a thrill to do it. These 3,000-pound sharks were swimming close enough to actually touch the camera at times. And uh, in IMAX 3D, you can s- even see the serrations on their teeth.
0: Mm-hmm. You know what I liked about it is that you didn't make the sharks look like the evil monsters that so many movies and documentaries tend to do. You just showed them as you know another creature under the sea, and I really liked that.
4: Well, well, thank you. No, we, we we that's what we consider them is just they're an inhabitant down there, and they're wonderful things. And the the great whites are, are beautiful, majestic animals to to see underwater. And of course, when you you make a film underwater and you you have sharks, in it, you need to put in the kind of the dramatic music. And and we tried even to avoid that. We tried to use you know music that was more appropriate, uh, you know that just demonstrated the magnificence of the animals. In fact, Jim Carrey, when he re- read the narration, he inserted an ad lib line where he said that he talked about the magnificent, dangerous predator that is almost as scary as this music, which is pretty, pretty funny. We couldn't use it because the music wasn't scary enough. Right. Now, <laughs>
0: yeah, where, uh, where is Under the Sea going to be uh, shown?
3: Uh, the film opens on February 13th, opens to the public on Fe- February 13th, all around North America and, in fact, worldwide.
0: And this will be at IMAX theaters?
3: It'll be at, at IMAX theaters. Uh, initially, it'll be at the flat-screen 3D theaters, but later it will also be shown on domes in 2D. Oh, wow. How long did it take you to make this movie? We've been in production for a little over two years. Uh, we spent a solid year in pre-production, just getting the logistics plans, going out to scout, scheduling the boats we used. We chartered four different boats in that took us to five different locations. Uh, we started um, we filmed in South Australia on the Great Barrier Reef, and then we moved up into the coral an area that 's called the Coral Triangle, which consisted of uh, two different locations in New Guinea and southern Indonesia. so we spent a year just getting the logistics sorted out a lot of the permits We had some sixty permits for uh, our crew of twelve in terms of work permits and film permits and um, then we spent uh, about 120 days in the field over a 10 month period of time, uh, five different month long trips to each of these five locations. Well,
0: it's a wonderful, wonderful movie, and I'm so glad you were able to tell us about it today, and I wish you the best of luck with this and all of your future productions. Well, thank Thank you Thank you you very much. We need to take one last break, but we'll be back in just a moment, so please stay tuned to the Pet Place Radio Show here on AM 1260 and 540. We're back on the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewlett, and I've got some wonderful news about our Pet Place TV show. KDOC will be airing another primetime Pet Place special, this time on Valentine's Eve, February 13th at 8 p.m. We'll be featuring homeless pets from 14 Southern California shelters and rescues, so be sure to tune in for this very, very special event, and tell all your friends, too. Now, more than ever, animals need our help. So if you have a place in your home and your heart for a companion animal, please adopt from a shelter or a rescue near you. And as always, I encourage you to check out the Pet Place website at PetPlace.org to find out more Pet Place news. And once there, click on the contact link and say hi or give us some suggestions, anything you'd like to hear discussed on the show. That's all for me today. Remember pets need love and a home too. We'll be back next weekend here on AM twelve sixty and five forty. I'm Marie Hewlett. Please stay or new to your pets and have a wonderful day. Lucky Land Casino
1: asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Haha, uh-huh, in my dentist's office.